So for our message this morning, we um, will, in fact, make reference to both of the passages that we read. But I want us to begin uh, primarily in Matthew chapter 28 and to continue the theme which um, I I began on Friday, looking at specific statements uh, from the uh, accounts of that first Easter Those of you who were with us uh, on Good Friday will remember that we considered the glorious statement of our Lord Jesus Christ as he uh, committed himself to God and he cried out, It is finished. And um, we, we were looking at the fact that the purposes of God were complete. The purpose of Christ's life was complete. He had uh, purchased a total salvation for God's people. Well, today I want us to take a couple of other short phrases uh, from this great message. And Matthew 28 and verse 6, we will consider primarily today these two statements. He is not here He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. Now, um, glorious truth. And um, again, significant. I want to put these two statements into a context. Because people approach Easter in different ways. With different emphases. And my thoughts, although I prepared these messages um, 10 days, two weeks ago, um, as a preacher, you're always mulling over what uh, you plan to preach. And I attended a funeral in this past week. And um, it was in an Anglican church. And there above the pulpit was this effigy of a man on a cross. I'm not going to say it was the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is a picture that people want to use, that Jesus is on the cross. Friends, he is not on the cross. And even though we rejoice in the empty tomb this morning, he is not in the tomb. Um, These events are historical, and they are in the past. And then another thing that happened, somebody well-meaning sent us a a video clip yesterday on WhatsApp, and it was a typical secular, um, gooey, mushy Easter um, presentation rainbow-colored chicks and bunnies and flowers, etc., etc. And to be honest with you, it, it revolted me. I thought, this isn't what Easter is all about. Okay, they would say, but these things symbolize new life. But it isn't the life of a chick. It isn't the life of something here on earth. It is eternal life that proceeds from the Father. 
and has been made known to us um, through the work of the Son and has been declared to us in Scripture. So, thinking of that context today, I want us to look at these two statements. He is not here, for he is risen. And the first thing that I want us to understand um, is that these two statements, in the first place, humanity is humiliated. Humanity is humiliated. What do we have here? We have well-being women. Um, In this context or this chapter, uh, this gospel, we are told that it is simply Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. There may have been other women with them, but uh, they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was not simply the um, people who were opposed to Jesus who were humiliated on that first Easter morning. But it was the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, we need to acknowledge that there are times when we as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, get it wrong. What were these women doing? They were going to the tomb with spices and with ointments. They were wanting to embalm the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought that he was dead full stop and that there was um, nothing to give them hope or to take them forward. But it wasn't just these women. The Apostle Peter, when he heard the message, he ran with another disciple. They went to the grave. They looked in because they couldn't believe that he... uh, Well, first of all, the grave was open. They couldn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. And think of that first Sunday afternoon as two disciples walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And um, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to them. Okay? He appeared in such a way that they didn't recognize him. But they were hopeless. They actually said, we had hoped that he would be the one uh, who would have delivered Israel. And then we have Thomas. Dear Thomas... Uh, Many of us have been in the same position as him. We have not been able to take in what God is doing. And in his fear, in his doubts, in his frustrations, in the whole mixture of emotion that was going on in his life, he says, unless I can put my finger into the uh, nail holes in his hand or thrust my hand into the spear wound in his side, I will never believe. Friends, what I have described to you this morning, thus far, is People who, if they had been asked, would have said, Yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I have put my trust in him. But the resurrection humiliated them because they had not expected this. But they weren't the only ones who were humiliated. If you look at chapter 27 and verse 62, you will see there that the uh, religious leaders, the, uh, the opponents of Jesus, were also humiliated. The next day which followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. And they said, look, we want to make the uh, tomb as secure as it possibly can be. And then we read in verse 66, So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. These men had uh, heard the Lord Jesus Christ preach, and they had expected, or they had opposed him on many occasions, but here, in a way, they are being more believing than the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, because in verse uh, 63 it says, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Now, um, did they believe that Jesus was going to rise? They didn't want to, but they thought, hang on, so much of what he has done has come true, and we're not going to let him um, wreck our approach to religion. And Jesus had fronted these guys up throughout his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, on a number of occasions he said, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, or it is written. And these were the ones who had said it. They had uh, tried to rewrite or to augment or to supplement the Old Testament teaching. And they knew that Jesus was um, a threat to them. And they were opposed to him. As early as his first sermon in Nazareth, in Luke chapter 4, we are told that they drove him out of the city, and they took him to the top of the hill, and they wanted to throw him off. And they wanted to see him destroyed. They plotted throughout the years of his ministry in order to kill him. And we see that even in the, the previous chapter, uh, Matthew 26, and um, verse 3, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. These weren't just debating opponents. These weren't men who went to the, the local uh, debating society or the local university. These men opposed Jesus to the point of death. But what does the resurrection do to them? It humiliates them. It shows them with all their trickery, with all their deceit, with all their supposed religion, they cannot 
alter the purposes of God. Thirdly, we see, and this is still in my first point, so we've seen the disciples were humiliated. We have seen the uh, opponents were humiliated. And the superpower of the day was humiliated. Verse 65 of Matthew 27, Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. The religious leaders um, had handed Jesus over to the Roman authorities. And the Roman authorities had flexed themselves and said, We have got the power. In John 19, we read this. Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Um, Sorry, are you not, yeah, not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Pilate had fronted Jesus and he had said, I can do to you whatever you want, whatever I want. He thought that nothing could surpass the power of Rome. He had put that plaque on the cross, Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the King of the Jews. He was mocking this man and he thought that he could not be touched. He had given the authority for the tomb to be sealed. He had given his soldiers to seal the tomb. And what happened? They were frightened stiff. They became as dead men. As they saw creation demonstrate its power to release the uh, creator who had been sealed within the tomb, they were frightened as the angel came down and rolled the stone away. Friends, the resurrection humiliates humanity. But secondly, I want you to see that the resurrection fulfills, gives authority to, completes the word of God. On the resurrection morning, the word of God is fulfilled. Sadly, the followers of Jesus and the opponents of Jesus had not listened to what he was saying. Even prior to his arrest, Jesus had said that he would be arrested, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified, that he would die. But on the third day, he would rise from the dead. Had his disciples been listening to the word of God, they would have known that this was going to happen. Because once God speaks, there is nothing will change the word of God. And remember that Jesus of Nazareth is the second person of the Godhead. He is the eternal Son of God. They should have been listening to him 
as they were walking towards the cross. They should have been listening to him as he hung on the cross. Remember I said to you on uh, Friday that there were seven sayings on the cross. And um, Jesus had said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. The people had gone to the tomb expecting him to be there. His body was there. But where was he? He was in paradise. He was with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If they'd listened carefully as Jesus was dying here in Matthew 27 and verse 50, we are told when Jesus uh, had cried out again with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. Luke tells us that what Jesus said as he yielded up his spirit. He actually said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit or commit my spirit. Jesus didn't die hopelessly. Jesus didn't die thinking, I am finished. No. Humanity placed Jesus in the tomb. But God had not sacrificed his son and deserted him. He had given him as a substitute for sinners. But if anything demonstrates uh, the, the, the truth of Romans chapter 8, where Paul asks the question, um, who or what shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? And he gives this long list that says, and neither death itself will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So, um, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills, completes, works out the purposes of God. So humanity is humiliated. God's word is fulfilled. But thirdly, God's power is displayed. He's not here, for he has risen. One translation of this passage says that he has been raised. And the way the gospel writers record this, it's almost as though it is something that Jesus did on his own. He, he rose from the dead. But this passage uh, is introduced in Matthew 28 with the events that took place Verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake, and um, the creation that was subject to its maker was shocked. It was shattered. It was moved. And there was a demonstration of the Creator's power. Secondly, we read, An angel of the Lord descended from heaven, this messenger of God had come down. Now, God 
could have simply had an earthquake and in such a way removed the stone. But no, an angel came, a messenger. Heaven itself was involved in this great event. It descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. God had sent his servant, his messenger, uh, to show his power. And when we come to the records in the New Testament of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he again looks the religious leaders in the eye and said, you crucified him. You used wicked men to nail him to the cross. But, Acts 2.24, God raised him up. In the New Testament, there are 13 references to that fact. God raised him up. The resurrection was not some sort of demonstration of power by the Son of God as an individual. No, as with all the great purposes of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each took their role to demonstrate the power and the purposes of God. The superpowers were crushed. The laws of nature, if you would have it, laws written by God, were overthrown, and God's power was demonstrated. As God the Father raised His Son, and God the Holy Spirit breathed new life into the one who had been crucified. We read in Romans 8, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they cooperated in the creation of the world and they cooperated in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They cooperated in, if you like, the inauguration of the new humanity, those chosen of God and born again of the Spirit of God. They were there equally at work. Jesus on the cross did not die helplessly but he had yielded himself he had committed himself to his father the father had not forgotten him the Holy Spirit had not forgotten him and they had known that spiritual fellowship in heaven between Good Friday and Easter Day. And here on Easter Day, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cooperate together in order that the world might know He is not here. He has risen. He came forth. We have got some details, as I've shown you, but not a great detail. Why? The how is not important. The what 
is important. Death has been conquered. Thank God. What a glorious truth. Why is this so important? Because death is a 100% experience of every human being. Friends, I don't know what qualifications you have. I don't know what financial resources you have. I don't know anything in detail about any of you. But what I can say is that all of us will one day die. Christ has said, there is victory. But, Christ also said that while everyone will rise and we will each face our maker, we don't face our maker on our own. And it is vital that we prepare for eternity. And the fourth thing that I want to say here, I've already started touching on it, is that eternity is declared in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not in the grave. He's not on the cross. He is alive. Who hung on the cross? Or what hung on the cross? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross. What was placed in the grave? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ was placed in the grave. What came forth from the grave? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. And friends, that is why I read that passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Because there Paul declares um, clearly and without contradiction. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Friends, we will all die. How your body is dealt with, I do not know. That is something between you and your maker. But whether you were reduced to dust by the flames, or whether you, uh, are, you decompose and you turn again to the ground through um, bacteria, etc., etc., what I can say to you is, there is going to come a day when you will rise from the dead. Eternity is in the hearts of all of us. Christ rose to say, I'm safe in the hands of my Father. Others will rise, as I said on Friday, and they will hear those awful words, depart from me. I never knew you. 
But Paul says here that Christ has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. I spoke to you about even his followers being humiliated. But the difference between the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities is that they were in Christ. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, on this glorious Easter Sunday, when again we declare the truth that he is not here, he is risen. I want to ask you, where are you? Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Are you standing on your own righteousness or are you turning to Jesus and crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Easter tells us that there is more to life than our threescore years and ten. There is eternity. Are you preparing for it, friends? Are you preparing for it? We're at that season of the year now. The leaves are budding, the flowers are blooming. We've been through three or four months deadness. A friend of ours from Papua New Guinea studied in this country and she came in September and she could not understand why the authorities left all those trees standing when they were dead. Because that's how she saw the trees in winter. And then she realized there was resurrection. She realized that there was new life. Friends, this is not the end. But there are two roads from the grave. One leads to glorious eternity in the presence of God. The other, sadly, leads to eternal destruction, eternal torment. I trust that this Easter day you will enjoy the power of the resurrection. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. God willing tonight... I want to talk a bit more about that. But if you're not going to be here tonight, I want to ask you the question, are you prepared for eternity? Are you prepared for your resurrection? A resurrection to life or a resurrection to judgment? May God be merciful to each of us. Let's pray. Eternal and ever-blessed God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this glorious truth that he is not here
for he is risen. We thank you that we have sung um, that although he lay in the grave, yet up from the grave he arose. And we thank you for this glorious truth. We pray, Father, that you would help us, each one, uh, to enjoy this truth and to prepare for eternity. For those who are in Christ, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would multiply our peace. For those of us who are unconverted or backslidden, we pray, Lord, bring us to that point where we cry out to Jesus and ask you to be merciful to us. Lord, may we each prepare for eternity and peace with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn this morning rightly gives glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the hymn 239. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou, O death, hast won. Let's rise and sing the praise of God.
falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>